If you're interested in growing personally and professionally, check out SEI, that's Sierra Echo India. SEI is comprised of a cadre of 19 professionals in many different disciplines ranging from pararescue men to special tactics officers to police officers, doctors, masters in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, professors, and mountaineers. They have a wide range of people who can take you from a novice level to a tactician in no time at all. Based out of New Hampshire, SCI can not only host you at their location, but they will travel to you whether it's your base location or in the mountains of Colorado. Location doesn't matter, they'll be there. With a course curriculum ranging from medicine to mountaineering to firearms training and even leadership, SCI has you covered. SCI has nine different tactical courses involving advanced shooting and driving. They also have five courses based in medical, tactical medicine, prolonged field care, wilderness first response and paramedic refresher training. SCI also has 10 courses rooted in mountaineering, ranging from mountain rescue to tactical lead climbing, urban vertical assault, which is exactly as badass as it sounds, rope rescue, and pack-in, pack-out courses. Regarding leadership, SCI covers the military decision-making process, tactical decision-making, ethical decision-making, and along with psychological courses. You can visit them online at sei-nh.com or call 910-286-5170 or you can email info at sei-nh.com for more info. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're back in the team room and I'm about to get starched uh, as well as the rest of you. We have a returning guest, Taylor Starch. You were so good last time, which is why we wanted to bring you right back on. Welcome back. Thanks. I am. Yeah, this should be uh, should be a treat today. Yeah, <laughs> it, it certainly will because um, if everybody notices uh, and tune in, because I'm sure that you're going to have the highest view count possible uh, on our last one. Um, like we hit a bunch, I say we, you hit a whole bunch of different areas, you know, aerobic versus anaerobic mobility, knees, your, your, you know, uh, metaphor for parking brake and all that kind of stuff. But now we definitely want to um, narrow the scope down of what we're talking about. And so today we want to kind of focus on running specifically um, because we get a lot of questions on, hey, you know, I've I've kind of reached a plateau in my my three mile run or my six mile run. You know, how do I get faster? And there's really, I mean, somebody who is well versed in conditioning, strength training, running, and stuff like that, like. You guys and, and a lot of the, the strength coaches and the conditioning coaches at the special tactics unit and the special warfare training wing, if you will, um, like you guys take folks that are um, already in decent shape and get them to a whole nother level. And you have a whole bunch of different programming to do that. Um, so for rather than me just say, hey, like, hey, tell me all your, your programming secrets. Um, let's let's go back to the folks that are kind of in a, a development or in a, okay. in a high school realm and that are, are kind of just starting out. So you've got someone, actually, where should somebody start out if they're, if they're, they say, hey, I want to go be a PJ, freaking, where do I start? Okay. So uh, running is kind of this interesting thing. Like it's, it's human. 
it feels like almost everyone should be able to run. We have books that are called Born to Run. Maybe you've heard of that. That's been a famous book that everyone will read and be like, I'm going to go run a marathon. (laughs) Uh, And then we have people say, that's ridiculous. We were born to walk and that humans were designed to walk for long distances. And then you have some people say, I don't run. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Running is a very polarizing topic because instantly when you say it, you're either going to say, oh man, I love running. Uh, I hate it. I avoid it at all costs. Or every time I run, my knees hurt. Let's make it really simple. Running is just going from point A to point B, and that's it. It's a series of single leg bounds or leaps, not as much of a leap, but bounds. The difference between running and walking is when we're running, we're on one foot 100% of the time versus walking, there's a period where both feet are on the ground. So it's actually pretty simple, even though there's a lot of complexity to it. Now, when someone's just getting started running, I think what they think is, I'm just going to start running. I'm just going to do it. Uh, I need to get fit, so I'm going to go run 30 minutes. I think where we need to start is kind of what running is going to do to our body once we start doing it. Number one, I think it's very kind of embarrassing when people are getting started running because it's going to highlight a couple things. Number one, how weak their aerobic system has become. (laughs) Two, how poor their joint health is or how little prepared they are when it comes to dealing with impact or running. And three, how we want stuff too much too soon. And I'll break those down. So when it comes to, obviously, we talked about last time how when people get into their running, when people get into their cardiovascular training, people go too hard too much of the time. There's this rule in running. It's called the 80% rule. It's a fake rule that trainers know about that they say about 80% of runners spend 80% of their time running at 80% of their max. And that's why they spend 80% of their time, 80% of the year, like hurt or injured. Now it's a dumb, silly, fake rule to emphasize that people just spend too much time running hard and they don't build a foundation. Now the foundation is going to be twofold and we can think of it from the bones, muscles, and joints, and then from kind of the energy standpoint. So when it comes to our body, we know that the longest thing or the thing that takes the longest to adapt is going to be your bones. But people don't think about that when it comes to running. They think, oh, you know, I'm in the gym lifting. You know, maybe you have a background of me. I was a cyclist. So I'm like, wow, I'm really fit. I can go run for five to 10 miles. But we have to remember that when you're running, you're taking around two to three times body weight impact. When you run, when you sprint, it can be up to six to eight times body weight. Even some studies say eight to nine times body weight when you run. So First thing we've got to do is prepare the bones to run. And this is where it's going to get super frustrating to a new runner, even someone who is fit, capable, and awesome. Because if you grew up doing cross country, you might have a good foundation of slowly building, incorporating like, you know, good progressions to build your volume up, but other people just start running. So if I just start running for 30 minutes and I stay at a low intensity, what's your thought? That was a good run. But your bones might not have been ready for 30 minutes of strict running because your bones won't hurt like your muscles do after a run. In fact, it takes a while for a stress fracture or stress injury to show up. 
So your first priority is to protect your bones and to build a foundation. Because the one thing we can't train through when it comes to running, and especially when you're trying to build volume and mileage, is a bone stress injury, which would be your stress fractures or anything a runner's dealt with. I'm sure maybe you or anyone, you've known tons of people, especially through the pipeline to develop shin splints or stress fractures. I mean, it takes everyone out. And often it's because we've done too much too soon when it comes to starting to run. And that can be frustrating. And so here's the example. So when I'm getting people to just start running, running every day is not going to happen. In fact, most people shouldn't even be running. This sounds crazy. This sounds too slow. It sounds too (laughs) conservative, but it works like a charm. So if I have a newbie who's never run before, I'm going to have them pay their dues. So maybe three times a week, they're going to start with a walk to jog. So maybe four minutes walking, one minute jogging, and they'll do that for six rounds for 30 minutes. So think in 30 minutes that they're pretty much jogging for five, and then they're doing 25 minutes of walking. That sounds ridiculous, right? But we're living in the most sedentary generation in human history. Most kids are not getting 15,000 steps a day. Actually, most adolescents and kids growing up are not getting PE. They're not getting the same levels of physical activity. So we've got to assume the generation of kids that are coming into the pipeline and those who are watching haven't got as many steps throughout their childhood and high school and middle school and college as they think they are. And walking is actually pretty impactful, even though most people don't think of walking as a high impact activity. So it is. So that generally takes people. So if we swap out like a minute of jogging and walking, so think every week you add another minute of jogging and take out another minute of walking after like 12 to 16 weeks, they're actually jogging or slow running for 60 minutes, but it took four months to get there. And everyone's going to look at me like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. There's no way I'm doing this. And I'm like, the training stimulus is for your bones, not for your heart. Because there's no way that's going to overload your heart because it's not going to be at a high enough intensity. So in the meantime, while people are building up their bones, we can be supplementing with bike rides, rows, swimming. Obviously, if they're going into any career field, they're going to be doing a ton of cool skills. They can be doing Jacob's ladders. They can be doing sled drags. So actually, while people are building up their bones with walk to jogs, they should be doing a ton of sled dragging. Are you familiar with this? Oh, sled dragging and stuff? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not talking <laughs> like we're – yeah, yeah. I'm not talking <laughs> – you're like <laughs> – Yeah. And I'm yeah. not talking like where you're pushing a sled – or where you're pulling it with the straps. I'm talking where you actually will take the sled straps, you'll tie it to a weightlifting belt, Mm -hmm. and then you'll add like about 100 pounds. You don't need much. You need about 100 to maybe 135. If you get too heavy, you're actually going to make it a problem. And then put on a clock for 30 minutes, and you're just going to drag it back and forth, driving through the hips, and boom. I'll tell you right now, if most people did a 16-week walk to jog three times a week, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and built up to pain-free 60 minutes, they you only have to pay that price once normally. You don't have to do that unless you would let then get like a serious stress fracture or break a bone. If while they were doing that, they were doing sled dragging twice a week, so on the Tuesday, Thursday, they for 30 minutes, I'm talking 100 pounds, you're dragging the sled. 
and you're just getting back and forth. You are building the connective tissue. You're building your Achilles. You're learning how to drive without extending your knee early. It's all good stuff. In fact, if you've ever looked into how beneficial tire dragging is for climbing, for rucking, it's pretty phenomenal. And then in the meantime, if we're not getting enough volume, we have to build it with the bike, with the rower and all that other fun stuff. So that was long-winded, but the most important thing to a new runner is progressing at the right pace for your bones. So we need to get to running for 60 minutes, three times a week before we would start running on consecutive days. Okay. Yeah. I, so good stuff. I got it just through that though. I got a couple questions and, and right now, while we're talking about the sled drag and you're, you're, you're saying that, um, you almost, it's a, it's a one-time buy-in. Like you should only have to do it once unless you get injured or something like that. If, if you do find like you're, you're at a point where I am where, okay, I've been running my entire life. You know, I, I grew up playing soccer. I did some cross country and then I've been doing this job for a long time. Yeah. Um, would doing a sled drag be a nice, almost pushing the reset button to help remind your body, you know, doing it for a couple of weeks, you know, the three times a week, like you're talking about almost like a, a pushing a reset to help my body remember and retrain it. You know, I don't think that's the right wordage. I think it will help offload some of the, okay. impact, right? So we, if we have, so I've got my beet juice in here, you know, me, I'm all about my beets, baby. Um, by the way, fun study just came out, uh, showing at attenuates doms or muscle soreness by Yoko and Suzuki just came out, uh, beat out <laughs> even like, yeah. So fun fact, um, eat, even beat out like tart cherry juice. So let's say this is my stress cup, right? This is how much stress I can handle. It comes from my diet. It comes from traffic. It comes from what's going on in the world right now. It comes from my deadlifts. It comes from running. Mm-hmm. If I already have a lot of stress in my cup, I can only, pour in so much new stress into my body. And obviously we know running is a very high impact stress. Also running is a lot of eccentric stress. I don't think people think about running as a strength training stimulus. Yeah. You're not going to get jacked and yoked. You're not going to run and then it's going to make your deadlift go up, but it's eccentric damage into the body. So it's a very big stressor. So when we go to the sled, we remove the eccentric component or the loading and under big stretch, right? So without the eccentric uh, component during the sled drags, you're going to get a lot of volume of the same muscles, but they're not getting that massive eccentric damage. So it's a good way of getting the same movement pattern that carries over without the eccentric. So it's a way of maintaining volume. So you can run lower miles, but still get the same output. Um, which okay. is pretty, which is pretty cool because unless you're a pro runner, getting that like hundred, there's that mystical like if you run a hundred miles a week, that's like what pro runners are at. Pro runners are at hundred to the elite or at 140. That's not going to happen in at, for operators and people going into the pipeline. No chance. So to be able to get the benefits of that higher mileage, we've got to get creative. And the problem is you have two opposite ends of the spectrum. We have what's called overload, where we overload the tissues, but it's not very specific. That's a deadlift, okay? You're overloading the bejesus out of your body, but it's not specific to anything. And then I have specificity, which is on the polar opposite side of the spectrum, where it's super specific. So think about something like a, like a hurdle drill that's specific if I'm a track and field hurdler but it's not going to overload me very much because it's so specific. 
So like a tire drag is kind of more in the middle where it's overloading, but it's a little bit more specific. So it's kind of that Goldilocks, the sweeter side of both. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't, I mean, obviously I know Dan uh, programs, sled, sled pushes, sled drags, sled pulls, uh, like, uh, like he loves the prowler. He loves the sled. Um, well, but I didn't really understand the science behind, uh, behind, you know, the offloading part of it. Well, it can be used. So it, it, there, there's just, you got to think about the risk reward, right? Because once again, what is the recovery cost? Okay. If you do a set of heavy reverse lunges, your hamstrings are going to be obliterated for two to three days. So once again, it's what's happening on Thursday, not what you did on Monday, because it's about what you do in the week. That's going to be far greater than what you did on your workout on Monday morning. That because hmm. we're thinking about progress, the measure of a workout is not failure. It's progress. So everything's about progress. And so with a sled, why sleds are amazing is because there's no recovery cost. I mean, yeah, if you do it during like a water Metcon, you can crush yourself with that, but there's not really a muscular cost. It's not like people do sled drags and the next day. They're like, oh, I can't walk. That's true. It's the opposite. You can build with that quite a bit. I, w- I will say the, uh, the prowler push lunges is heinous. That, that is prowler. That, that's yeah. a, once again, a treat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so some of the other things that just, cause I, I want to make sure that I hit it. Cause it, it brought up questions in my mind. Um, you, you talked about the 15,000 steps. Uh, like you hear, you hear kind of, um, and I'm not throwing shade at anybody, but the, the kind of like soccer mom fit bit kind of thing. Oh, I'm going to get my steps kind of yeah, thing. I, 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 yeah. I, I know that's a bit silly, but it's, you're just throwing out, it's like, Hey, it's, it's a measurement of being active and not sitting in a sedentary lifestyle. Right. Like, it's not like somebody should go out. Whew, I got to get my 15,000 steps kind of thing. Right. It's, it's I'm asking, I'm asking more than, it's, more it's than just, I'm telling. It's just, it's just the truth. Like this is uncomfortable truth. We are the unfittest humans in the history of the world. Yeah. Like I don't need a research study. Like I can, because by 2030, they project that 50% of all Americans will be obese. Now, we, we like that's uncomfortable to say. I think I'm not even allowed to say the word obesity anymore. So why, why does that matter? Because we have people that come up through schools, which PE is non-existent anymore, pretty much. I think less than like 10% of schools have PE. Uh, and so, and then we know that with technology, people are more geared towards not going out inside and playing all day. Right. And this sounds silly, but you add that. That's why people that's bone injuries are higher than they've ever been. Like uh, talk about when kids get to basic training, shin splints, shin splints, shin splints. Um, and that, that myth, mythical 10,000, 15,000 steps is in, if, if we think about it, like a pyramid health comes before performance, right? It's people don't want to talk about that because that means sometimes they've got got to focus on non-sexy, healthy stuff first. So if we're not even healthy, like we're going to be in trouble once we start performing, because if you sacrifice health for performance, eventually down the road, your body will sacrifice all your performance to get back your health. We could say joint health. We could say mental health, right? It's going to come back. So when it comes to just like the 15, 10,000 steps, they have seen through Fitbit and studies that at around 10 to 15,000, more 15,000, that all-cause mortality, which is your chance of dying from anything, just plummets 
Past 15,000, there doesn't seem to be any additional benefit, but there's other stuff too. So let's think about walking. So number one, walking is impact. People don't think of it. Number two, walking is generally really healthy for a lot of reasons for blood flow, but a lot of people don't know your lymphatic system, which is your sewage system in your body, is only pumping when your calves are kind of flexing and contracting. So when you're sitting at your desk all day, your calves aren't flexing and contracting in a rhythmic fashion. Your calf muscle pump is what pumps the lymphatic system, which is your sewage system. So we have more lymphatic fluid and stuff than blood in the body. And that's what gets rid of all the gunk, all the inflammation, all the crud. And so why walking is not only healthy for your mental health, um, for just blood flow, for your brain. We all know the benefits, right? It's also good for your immune system, for your lymphatic system, because you're pumping all that through. So just doing all that stuff is setting a foundation for health. Because think, if I can't even take 15,000 steps a day, what happens when I get to selection and it's 40,000 every single day plus load? Yeah, no, you're not right. You're not wrong there. It sounds so silly, but if if you're not even used to 15,000 a day and then all of a sudden we're at 40,000 plus a hundred pound ruck plus all the squats and lunges where your tissues are then smashed, right? So while it's silly and while it's Fitbit-ish, I almost think that if you're about, if you're trying to head into basic, you should be getting 20,000 steps a day. Like no, no, like second thought. So, so, okay. Free, uh, fantastic answer. Man, I almost, almost dropped an F-bomb there. I'm trying to stay, trying to keep it clean, but um, okay. So that brings me to a, a great point. You're, you're talking about before basic and you had, you had mentioned it uh, about the walking as well in terms of like, hey, walk for four minutes, run for, for one minute. And then yeah. eventually after four months, you know, you'll have to a certain point. But um, like is that that's based, what timeline is that based off of? Because we get a lot of folks that are going, now granted, you can't go to the recruiter now, at least for special warfare and go, hey, I want to leave next week. That doesn't work like that for special warfare anyway. So you're you're looking at a minimum of three to six months. Um, so based off of timeline, because, you know, a lot of people have, have read or listened to the book, Can't Hurt Me uh, by David Goggins. And, and he just, yeah, he had, he had, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, and the audiobook is better than the, the actual book. So for those of you out there, but, um, you know, he went to the recruiter and they said, Hey, you, you got to lose some weight and you got three yeah. months. And he just went out and freaking crushed it and lost a whole bunch of weight. So like, what timeline with that walking versus running is that built on? Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking perfect world, right? Obviously, if you, you know, if you're like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, I've got it. I'm about a year out, you know, because think if it took you four months to pay the price of making your bones nice and strong, and then you had eight months to build your run, you should be totally fine, especially because remember, you're at the same time should be developing all the energy systems and all that that you need on the other side through biking, rowing, swimming. Think about like the training stimulus you're getting just from training. You should be good. You, you do not need much intensity work to be successful when it comes to passing that three mile run or the mile and a half. Because here, here's where people get in trouble. So ready? It's a mile and a half run. Correct. Still. Um, right. So if when you run a mile and a half, your heart is beating through the roof and it's hard and you're breathing hard, your legs are on fire. 
So when people run and they don't get a time they want or they want to run faster, they run a mile and a half as fast as they can, say they get 11 minutes or 10 minutes, they want to get faster. Well, their first thought is, well, when I was going as hard as I could go, which we could call high intensity, I failed or didn't run the pace I wanted to or I want to run faster. So I need to do more of what I failed at to get faster. Now let's, let's, this is the flaw of running endurance training. And this is where, uh, from star Wars, it's a trap, ready? (laughs) You're running at a hard pace. So say you're doing a group run or say you're doing a train ride and, or you're this, and you just start, you're, you're start slowing down. We hit that slow-mo and you're like, oh man. So you're like, I need more intervals. I need more high intensity. Why did you fail? Because you couldn't recycle energy. If you could recycle energy, ATP, which we started to talk about last time, mm-hmm. you'd be fine. Past like the 10 second mark, almost all your fuel is going to be from the aerobic system or oxidative. And so to tell you, if you fail that high intensity in a mile and a half run, it wasn't because you're not doing enough anaerobic work. It's because your aerobic system still is weak and they're doing too much high intensity. So even if I don't have much time, I don't need to do many intervals because I think people forget that a mile and a half run, even though that's one of your shortest runs in terms of te- like that's the shortest test run you're ever going to do. Yep. I know in the OFT, there's some shorter events. Those are all aerobically driven efforts. So the fastest marathoner in the world right now, who most people would consider not an anaerobic athlete, uh, Elliot Kip- Chogi, he's the two hour marathon guy. Ready? So, have you ever, what's the fastest pace you've ever run on a treadmill? Have you ever kicked it up to like 13, 14, 15 miles per hour? Yeah. And it's, it's for short sprints. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's holding 13 miles per hour for two hours. That's insane. So, think about this. He does 90% of his training at low intensity. Now, his low intensity is blazing fast. This is the world's fastest marathoner who most people consider slow, aerobic, and would be absolutely get crushed in an event like a 400. He's holding like 65 second 400s for like 420 times in a row or 240 times in a row. Apologies. So what I'm saying is having a strong aerobic base and being able to produce like that energy from the oxidative or fat is not going to make you slower. It's going to make sure you can get the energy to go faster, right? So that's what, so people get that all confused. So they're like, oh man, I've got to, I've got to run the mile and a half faster. I've got to do intervals on the track. You like, and they just run intervals or run hard. And then they never develop their actual engine or capacity at all. Because guess what? If you look at their numbers, so what's going to happen when they're rucking? Do you think they're going to be able to really keep that at a low heart rate? No. No. I can tell you from experience. (laughs) Yeah. Like no chance. That's not your opportunity to try to control heart rate. You just got to shuffle, get it done, hit the timelines. Shuffle, get it done. Right. Hit, make the timeline no matter what. Shuffle. So rucking's not our opportunity to develop that low, to work on low intensity. In the pool, most people... Like it's most people when they're finning and stuff like that, you know, they're, they're pushing those big fins. That's a big strength effort and all that stuff. Oh yeah. 
right? So when it's time to run, you do not need much intensity to be absolute crazy fast. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. I've been doing I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> which <laughs> which most people have. So <laughs> like that's the crazy thing is like pro endurance athletes spend most of their time like at like 80%, even actually the top athletes, 90% of their work is below what we call ventilar, uh, ventilary threshold, which is basically, if you know, the five zone systems would be zone two or lower. Okay. They're spending 90% of their volume there. And if the endurance athletes, the pro endurance athletes are the fastest and best at what they do, why would we not follow their example? No, I, I agree. You follow, you but, do. Yeah, if, that, so, if that's working for somebody, that's what you should be doing. Right. If we're slower than them, Clearly what they're doing is kind of something you got to follow success. It's like if rock climbers say, Hey, this makes your grip stronger. I would probably do it for grip training. So if endurance athletes are showing in like, if you look at like the Norwegians in the winter Olympics, when they had their best success, um, they actually were doing the most low intensity training. So here's an interesting thing. So like in 1999, this guy by lot, uh, basically did a study to see what happens when you change high intensity versus low intensity. So they kind of did a study where they had a, people do hundred percent easy, like all easy training, no hard. Then they kind of did like 80% uh, easy, 20% hard, 50% easy, 50% hard. And hard was kind of around like 91% of max. Okay. So what they found was that the average fitness, okay. Of the, the 80, 20 group, had a 1.5% improvement. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's pretty good considering, right? You know, your typical like 12 week study. The 50-50 group actually dropped performance 2.5%. Mm. And this is with, and they've done this many times. Like they've looked at this from the Olympic athlete level. Uh, and what they find is at a certain point when intensity starts stripping in too much, you're going to start to pay the price because you're, it's going to increase your recovery time. It's going to affect your strength training. Um, it's pretty crazy. Actually, when the Norwegians had their best success, um, I think that they said they were doing 92% of their training at lower intensity. And then they changed that up to, and then they had their worst Olympics ever. Well, it's funny that you talk about the, um, the percentage rate, right? Because yeah. one and a half or two and a half percent does not seem like very much. But I mean, if you're already operating at that level, oh, so one, if you're already operating at that level, one to one and a half percent is is a significant gain. Um, but also, like if you're if you're improving one percent each month, I mean, after six months, that's a six percent increase. Like that's that's a lot. It's significant. Well the more important thing is not the gain. It's the potential loss. See, this is what people forget yes. about training. Just because I train doesn't mean I get a positive adaptation. This is, see, this is going to, yeah, Oh boy. Yeah. So when it comes to training, there's stuff called maladaptation or kind of an adaptation we don't want. Uh, I like to talk about almost like when you're, when you're in math class, you know, you'd have an equation and you'd, you'd solve it. You'd hit, you'd type in your calculator, those CI83s, you'd enter it all in, you'd get an answer, and then all of a sudden you got your test back, you'd show all your work, and then all of a sudden you got the, you, the answer's not even remotely close. And you're like, wait a second, you go back through, you're like, I think I did everything right, but my answer's not even close. 
I think people think because they just show up and do work, they're going to become some like incredible BA who's like this beast who runs, you know, four minute miles and can do three <laughs> pull ups. They think just because they work. Now, yes, obviously you need to be consistently working or else nothing's going to happen. We all know the magic is consistency. Mm-hmm. But just because I do work doesn't mean I progress in the way or I, that I want to or need to and specific to my goals. So like, for instance, like if we think about like trees and a branch or a tree and we've got roots and we got the branches, your capacity is like the roots. So that's your low intensity work. That's your ability to just endure, to just low intensity durability. That's the ability I'm going to be up for 18 hours and we're just going to keep working until the sun goes down. We're going to keep working low intensity durability. That's my roots. That's your foundation, your house. The bigger the roots, what? The bigger, the stronger the tree. Your branches is like your high intensity work. Now, if you water the branches, doesn't mean the roots get stronger. So when you water a tree, you should water the roots because Mm -hmm. if you water the roots, the roots grow deeper, bigger, you know, deeper, bigger, stronger. And then the branches that are on that tree can be larger. They can, you can have more branches and overall it's a stronger tree. If I just go and water the individual branches, that's like just doing a bunch of high intensity training. If the branches start outgrowing the roots, what happens to the tree when we know that the branches would break off? So what I'm saying is most people, and actually we've seen this at a lot of different selection courses is there is so much high intensity and that's due to just the nature of your guys' jobs and selection courses that we actually see a maladaptation or a negative trend when it comes to shrinking the roots and the branches are growing out. So you feel like a badass because when you're in these high intensity situations, you're able to kind of smash your way through. And obviously your mind is getting stronger as you grow through this, right? And we know the mind yeah. is more powerful than any muscle. So it's this weird dynamic. But what's happening in the long run, I'm talking the big picture, is their actual capacity shrinking. Okay, so simplistic so terms. Have off, you have to offset that. Okay, so simplistic terms then, um, I mean, because, you know, high intensity is generally shorter, so high intensity yeah. shorter. So it's like, I I prefer that, but at the same time, like if I'm going to go do a, a, a long endurance type thing, um, it's going to be less intensity, which is also not that bad either because... I'm sorry. I got a bunch going on in my head right now. Cause I'm thinking consistency is being the key to, um, making, you know, expanding your capacity. So by making it essentially hurt less, it's, I'm more than likely going to train every single day or when I need to, instead of like, man, I really sucked yesterday. I'm just supposed to put it off today. But so in the interest of watering the roots, like yeah. basic thinking, how do I do that? Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting thing. So when it comes to low intensity training, right, this is, this is all about running because we're talking about how, if you don't have energy, you can't run, you can't run fast, you can't run far. And we're not creating energy. We're just recycling it. Right. And that low intensity training is so key. So let me, first off, let's kind of define this. 
Number one, I'll make it simple. So in the most common language, we have the five zone system. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are seven zone systems. There's three zones. The most commonly used on the Garmin app and all over the world is the five zone system. One, two, three, four, five. Now let's make this all kind of use common speak and then we'll break it down. So zone one is basically going to be almost your recovery. So if I said, if I don't have a heart rate monitor, how do I know I'm doing a zone one effort? If you were had no heart rate monitor, a zone one effort would be if you did a three hour effort. And then the second you were done, I said, do the same effort. And you should be like, okay, no problem. That's a zone one effort. Okay. Now zone one is mainly about just getting an increase in blood flow. So a lot of people, when they say, oh, I want to increase blood flow, they go for like the Theraguns or foam rollers or like a hot and cold set. There's no increased demand for oxygen in the muscle. So you're not really increasing blood flow. So when you start exercising, you actually increase blood flow, like up to 20 fold, like 20, 25 fold. So it's far superior to recover by going for a light walk or a light bike ride than trying to do stuff like that. Hence active recovery kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, active recovery. But one more time, we don't want any negative costs because remember, as we go up to the higher zones, there's a cost. So zone one is not really going to stimulate any new changes per se, except for when we get a lot of volume of zone one, we're going to get new capillaries. We're going to get new blood flow. We're going to develop all those pathways and arteries, and we're going to get lots of structures in place. So I want you to think we're kind of laying the foundation or the scaffolding for a strong aerobic system or the heart to be able to pump blood, but we're not really getting fitter from zone one. It's more a recovery stimulus. Okay. Your zone two is the mythical zone two that everyone's been hearing about. And it's all over the internet. And if you haven't heard about it, it's this magic land where all your gains appear. Now, <laughs> the truth is about zone two is endurance world. We call it base building or capacity, or you could call it the roots, right? But all it is, is we're, we're now starting to train at a higher intensity but we're still mainly using our oxidative, which is we're burning through a lot of fat, right? That's going to be mainly our fuel. Now, why is this crucial? And how do I know I'm in zone two? If I do a zone two effort, so say I run five miles uh, today. If I did zone two, if I run five miles and say I ran five miles in 45 minutes, I should be able to this same day do that same effort at the same relative pace and intensity. That's if I don't have a heart rate monitor. So I should be able to do that same run twice. If I would do a zone two run, say I didn't have a heart rate monitor, and then I ran it again and my pace was slower, my heart rate was higher, or it was more stressful, then I probably went too fast for a zone two. Mm -hmm. Now, an easy way to set this is I know a lot of people use their heart rate uh, for their Garmin will set the the zones. I was about to ask you, how do you it's find still, your it's zone? Still, it's still going to be inaccurate. It's still not going to be ideal. Even the whole heart rate max equations are wildly off. So I'm going to say, don't use heart rate max equations. Like the whole 220 minus age for your max. Yeah. I can get my heart rate up to 235 beats per minute, which is more, a, it's, it, it, it doesn't make sense compared to the heart rate equations, but with a chest strap, it's been tested in a lab. And so you can't rely on those because if I relied on my watch, 
it wouldn't make sense for my training zones. So to set your zones, we actually want to find out what the top of our zone two is. And we would do that with a talk test. Now, a talk test is going to be where we pick a 12 to 15 word sentence. You've got to make one up. I would make a fun one up. <laughs> you could get really creative with it. And you're going to start doing something that like a run or a bike. Um, obviously, a bike would be very simple because there's no technique involved, but it's good to do it for a run. And you're going to repeat this phrase. And basically, if you can say that sentence or that 12 to 15 word sentence with uh, in one breath, you're still in zone two. Hmm. Okay. The second you have to start breaking that up or you have to like, you can't say that 12 to 15 word sentence, you have now basically shifted into zone three. And the reason is because when we're in zone two, our respiration just gets deeper. So we start getting deeper inhales and exhales, but our respiration rate, which is how we're, how quickly we're breathing in, doesn't increase. The second we hit zone three, we start breathing at a quicker rate, which is interesting. You can hear it actually as you get more, as you train more people, you can actually hear without a heart monitor. You're like, he just turned into zone three. <laughs> so, but if you're doing this at home and setting your own zones, so basically you'd repeat that sentence. It takes, you know, I might do this over two runs or two bikes, you know, and then basically say at 152 beats per minute, I can't say that sentence anymore. That would be the top of my zone two. And then I would zone down and up, you know, about 20 beats per minute. And then I have my zones. Interesting. Uh, so now I've never heard of the talk test. Yeah. So actually that's your most accurate version. So letting an app determine it is kind of wishy-washy, right? All this tech is, uh, you know, it's getting better, but it's still not perfect. Even your whoop, your or ring, they're getting amazing. I know or ring just released its new generation, but there's still, I would, I would do a simple talk test, 12 to 15 word sentence. That's going to be the top of your zone two. Now, why is zone two considered so magical? Because we're starting to get all these amazing benefits of oxygenating my system, laying, building new structures. So I want you to think about it. It's almost like building new highways. You're preparing the roads to be able to handle more cars. You're building your capacity. You can think of your body like a highway. The more roads, the more cars, the more intensity you can handle. But we're not getting the negative effects of high intensity quite yet or not as much. So we're not getting all the metabolites. We're not getting all the stress hormones. So kind of think of it as that's where we get all the good, but we're not getting all the bad and all the stuff that takes time to recover from. So it's not that zone two is a like cure for everything. It's you don't get all the bad with it. And the bad is more increased recovery time, increased stress. Uh, you're starting to use your larger, more type two uh, muscle fibers. Those are your big, strong, fast twitch fibers uh, and all that stuff. And guess what? Recovery time from zone two is like you don't need to really recover from it because why? You're not tapping into all that stressful, those stressful systems. So that's where, yeah, I can keep going into zone three or, yeah, I, well, no, no, no. I, yes, please keep going into zone three. I just, it, it's just funny because I, it, like, it makes me want to go out for a run now, but, oh, and all, but, oh, oh. <laughs> but it's just I, like, I think we get caught up in this, um, like 
I, I went for a run yesterday and, and I, it was probably a mixture of hydration fatigue. Cause I've been, yeah. I've been up and it, and it hurt. And I, I was doing like a seven forty five, and that hurt. And, and it was yeah. like, golly, this is weird, but we get so caught up in, you know, our pace, what we're used to our, um, you know, some of these apps or, you know, if you're, if you're doing a Peloton, it, it you know, it's, it's, based off your Watts and your, your calories and, and all these metrics. And we think we've got to keep improving. We've got to keep improving. And, and in a way just based off of what you're talking about, we're, we're only going negative or, or hurting oh, ourselves. We, we, we got it. We're trying to achieve something specifically. That's the thing is I, it, it leads us back to what I started to talk about in our first podcast. It's not about just getting tired. Yeah. People think when they fail and they get tired, they're successful. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so you've changed the measure of pro, uh, like success from progress to failure. Like my measure of success is progress, but most people's measure of success is failure. Yeah, no, that's, that's like, true. And because I, and trust, I, me, trust me, there is something wildly beneficial about testing ourselves reminding ourselves we ain't hot shit in like putting ourselves in the hurt locker community of doing a hard workout. Like there's nothing better than having a group of guys that say, dude, boom. Hey, and sometimes we need to hear flexing it after it. Remember there's mental health too. That is yeah. equally as important. Yeah. But of course. When someone comes to me and says, I want to be a badass monster. We have to look at what are the demands? How does the body, how do we get strong, stronger, faster, better? And if we're going too hard, we're getting certain adaptations, but there's a certain cost. If we're going easy, there's certain adaptations, and then there's a different cost. It's all about what we're what we get out of it. It's the same with strength training, right? Failure is going to really drive hypertrophy or getting jacked or building muscle, but failure is not as optimal when it comes to getting stronger. And I'm sure we can get to that, you know. We yeah, well, well like that's another, today. that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so, so we'll get into that. But why is zone three this like mysterious zone? So once I start to turn the corner, so remember once we pass that talk test, my breathing rate is now increasing because my body needs more oxygen. I'm starting to run at a higher intensity. Now my slow twitch fibers can't handle the job by themselves. So when I'm running at low intensity, my slow twitch fibers, which are really fatigue resistant. That's why we have to spend a long time doing low intensity because your slow twitch fibers take a long time to overload. So your slow twitch fibers in a little Tabata uh, 30 seconds on 30 seconds off are not going to be fatigued and they're not going to be overloaded because those suckers can go all day. So that's why duration is the greatest training stimulus for low intensity. That's why it's so frustrating. But when we delve into zone three, so let's say my zone three starts at 150 beats per minute to make it simple. Now, as I get to that 155, 150, 60, I'm working harder. So I feel like I'm more training hard. I'm like, here I go. My heart's beating. My legs are burning. You're kind of putting out a good pace, but it's not so right. It's that comfortable, hard fun. Yeah. Now our slow twitch fibers can't do it by themselves and we can't necessarily just rely on burning fat because remember fat is our low intensity fuel. One of the benefits of doing lots of low intensity training is you can utilize fat at higher intensities and fat provides way more energy than carbohydrate. 
So fat is nine kilocals per gram and carbs are four. So fat is superior and endurance athletes actually near maximal intensities can use fat, which is why they can run at such fast paces. Because they've trained their body to burn because fat Because they've trained your body to utilize fat at high, at, rel, at, at increasingly higher intensities. That's why when you go low intensity, you need to stay low intensity. Because Man. when I'm training high intensity, I'm training my body to get good at, or to be optimal at burning sugar. So I'm actually turning my body into a sugar adapted body, so to speak. I'm not getting my body better utilizing fat as much. Yeah. So in zone three, now we've got kind of our other fiber starting to top in. So we're now starting to get some, a little bit of more lactate accumulation. Now, so people know lactic acid doesn't exist in the body. It actually dissociates immediately to lactate. Lactate is used as a fuel in the body. So lactic acid does not cause the burn in your muscles. In fact, lactate takes on a hydrogen ion and basically buffers it so it actually helps you exercise for longer. Mm. <laughs> so lactate is actually a fuel that is used by your heart. It's used everywhere in the body. It's actually a super fuel. So when we get to zone three, we're going to start to see lactate build up more because we're starting to train at higher intensities. And just like during rush hour, what happens at rush hour? More stop and go traffic, baby, right? More cars get stuck on the road. So just like that, Cars can't get on and off the highway. Traffic builds up. That's like zone three, zone four. We're putting more intensity into the system and it can't clear it as much. And I could get really sciencey, but I won't. Zone four is what intervals actually are. So zone four is when we start to do that hard, hard. Zone four is like you're you're going hard, right? You're not doing more like more than an hour of zone four in a day. Like that would be that'd be crazy. <laughs> People get zone four and five confused. Zone four is your sweet spot. That's when you are trying to maximize intensity because zone five, I think it's easy to understand what zone four is. If you look at zone five, zone five is you're going to sprint for 10 seconds, all out, all yeah. out, all out. Actually zone five is enjoyable because you can only do it for maybe five. <laughs> zone, zone, zone five is a fran. Zone five is zone five is the best. <laughs> because you can, you can just, you can just admit the wheels are going to fall off and it's amazing. Yeah. But most athletes need, you know, it, we, we don't need much zone five training because it's more primal. Think about this. If there was a fire in my house right now and like my house was exploding, do you think I need to go do like five weeks of interval training to get out of my house? No, my body's going to dump adrenaline. I'm going to get out of there. Now our body gets better at that. So if we come back down, that that zone four is really where we're going to maximize intensity. But the problem is it's hard. And everyone that says they love hard training actually loves zone three training. Because when you start doing zone four, what happens is people do not have a good enough aerobic base, zone one and two, to be able to stay up here. Because hmm. they don't okay. have endurance. They can't support it from the bottom up. It's like holding someone from the bottom up. So they get to zone four. They have no ability to support from their aerobic capacity. So they get to zone four. So they get their heart rate up in that 170, 180. But then within 30 seconds, they're back down to zone three. So they just fall off of it. They can't hang there. So what you're going to see with a lot of people is when it's time to go hard, <coughs> excuse me, they can't hang there. 
It's because they haven't built their base, so their peak can't be sustained. It's a pyramid. The bigger the base, the higher the peak. The larger the roots, the more it can support the branches. So when people haven't built a proper aerobic base, what you're going to see is they go up, they high five hard, then they drop back down to zone three and they feel like they're going hard. And those, are kind of, those are kind of the five zones in a nutshell. But when we're doing those higher intensity zones, there's a cost. You're taxing your type two fibers. Those are your fast switch. Now, why is that so important to know? Those are the ones you're strength training when you lift heavy. Hmm. So you're using the same adaptation currency when you do a hard sprint like a 400. If you're doing a 400 all out, you're using the same muscles in the same adaptation currency and the same energy currency you are when you're doing a map like five heavy deadlifts. So now think, so if I do five heavy deadlifts and then I go do more high intensity intervals running, can you see how that adds up in terms of my recovery cost? Oh yeah. You're going to be, you're going to need a lot more time to recover. Smashing your system all the time. So your capacity actually shrinks and you're never watering your roots. And then we already talked about last time, no one's taking care of their joint health because it's an <laughs> afterthought. And it's something that people just, you know, when they do go, they just relax and they don't work. So now we see all these compounding problems where running can be thought of two ways. We can think about the bones, muscle, tissue, joints. That's kind of the biomechanics. And then we have the energy systems and together those combine and those are going to make me faster, better at running. But that, that's, that's why it's this, it's this, and people don't want to hear this just because they think there has to be another way, but here's an easy test to see if you've done too much high intensity training. So go run a mile as fast as possible. Breathe through your mouth and nose, go for it. Then recover. Obviously that might be a day or two or a couple days, or you do it the next week. And then the next time you have to work on both times, you need a chest strap or heart rate monitor. The next time you're going to go, you're going to put water in your mouth, water in your mouth, completely full. You have to breathe out of your nose and you have to stay below a heart rate of 180 minus your age. Oh, and every time you start going above that, or if you feel the need to, right? Or if you can't breathe out your nose. Obviously, if you can't breathe out your nose, like wait till you can that particular yeah. day. <laughs> if you're a little and then, and then look at the difference between the miles. I think you'll be astounded. So when you're doing that second mile with the water in your mouth and nasal breathing, you are now limiting yourself to the zone one, two. You are now limiting yourself to your slow twitch fibers, kind of, right? More so. You're limiting yourself to how much you can oxidize fat versus burn into sugar. And it's going to really show you how slow you can actually go without the help of those other systems. So basically we call that ADS or aerobic deficiency syndrome. When someone has done so much intensity work, but they've forgotten to build the roots or grow the roots. And it's not a bad thing. And I think people think I'm saying like everyone needs to run ultra marathons, do 20 hours of low intensity cardio. No, 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 I don't, no. I don't get that think, at all. You th think if you just added one hour of low intensity, that'd be five more hours, in, like in your work week, you'd be a, most people be a monster just by adding in like a couple, you know, 30 minute sessions at like a specific intensity. 
But some people are so strong, they can't do it running because what you'll find is a lot of people do that breathe through the nose, water in the mouth test, and they can't even run. And so now what you're telling yourself is when you're even going for a light jog, you're not really staying in that zone one, two in training low intensity and you're taxing the bejesus out of your body. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's where I'm at right now. I think I've, um, like just, just with the, the kind of newer type job I've, I've got and stuff like that. And I've been doing a lot of, of high intensity because it's just more fun to me. I think I've lost a lot of the, like, and I've, and admittedly, and I've gained a little weight and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, well, I, yeah, think about from weight, you know, obviously ever all the studies will say, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, high intensity burns more fat <clears throat> and all that stuff. Well, number one, the studies are really short. And number two, they're not doing much volume when it comes to low intensity. Think about it. <clears throat> when we're stressed, is it easier or harder to lose weight? It's it's harder. So think about high intensity is going to burn through sugar stores. So high intensity training demands that you burn through glycogen and sugar. So guess what? If I burn through it, my body's going to crave it because it needs to replace it. Yeah. Oh, so think about I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, yeah, I've got a sugar think, addiction think, right think now. About everyone in the gym is generally chronically stressed. They probably got two or more long-term injuries. They've got a spot that's bugging them right now, you know, maybe a short term. Uh, maybe they want to trim up a little bit. They want to improve performance. And so they're saying, okay, now I'm going to come in. I don't have a foundation of a rope. I don't have the ability to deliver oxygen well to my system. And now I'm going to strip it of even more oxygen, train high intensity. And then when I get to my workout, I'm going to do the same thing with my weights, which is a good thing. Remember, it's all good. It's just, once again, people got to think about how, like how much intensity they can't handle the week is actually not as much as they think. Yeah, and it doesn't so mean you're weaker. Matches. You've only got so many matches in a matchbook. Yeah. And the more stress I experience outside work and the more stress I do input in my strength training. So if I go and do like a heavy deadlift in my strength training, I want you to think about like a matchbook and you burn a couple matches. If then I go to my run, it better be a polar opposite in a way, unless I'm trying to get all my intensity in one day. So when I do like a heavy deadlift, I'm not trying to do intervals with my run because I already did my stressful training that day. And I need to do kind of anti-stressful training, even though it is a stressor. Okay. So I think you've already answered the question in a roundabout way, um, but <laughs> Several years ago, Aaron and I were having a a debate on, um, and he he probably wouldn't even remember this, but we were having a debate on how you know weight versus strength, uh, and the, what I mean by that is, I would I was under the impression that I could run faster if I weighed less, whereas Aaron was saying, well, I'm I'm gonna weigh the same, but I'm stronger. So that's going to equal out, but, and it goes back to kind of what you were saying towards the beginning of the podcast about, um, you know, uh, the multiplication of each pound on your joints weigh, you know, on your knees would be seven pounds or whatever it is, you know? So, and I think you've already answered it, but not directly. So like, what's the right answer? Should I weigh less and, uh, be able to run faster or should I train strength and expect to run faster? 
So I think, <laughs> I think there's no, there's no like ideal body weight. Everyone's got their own unique one and it's there. There's guys with big engines that are always going to be bigger and that's okay. And not everyone's going to be some like, you know, putting out, you know, a 15 minute 5k and stuff like that. The most important thing is when it comes to running is number one, putting force into the ground. So I don't care what you weigh, obviously, um, you know, if there's, there's a certain cost of moving weight, meaning to maintain muscle mass costs a lot of energy. Uh, so yeah, but if your job demands it in other areas, right. So perfect example. So if we've got someone going through and they can run, you know, the mile and a half in seven minutes, okay, congratulations, you're a beast aerobic, but then they put on a ruck and they get absolutely crushed. So there's this weird dynamic, which is why I love, I love working with the militaries because you can't be the runner, the cross country kid who has no muscle mass to support because you don't do anything without a kit or without yeah. gear. And that's what I love. So it's this weird dynamic. Um, we need enough muscle mass to support what we do in terms of load carriage, in terms of absorbing force, producing force, or just kicking ass and taking names, right? <laughs> like if someone takes me to the ground, I want to be able to defeat that person, not with my aerobic system, but with one grip, <laughs> with my bicep, with all that. Um, so it's kind of one of those, you can't really answer that question because, you know, some people will need to put on more mass. Because they, they, they might be crushing the runs, but then all of a sudden, like they're just getting obliterated by the ruck because their tissues can't sustain that low carriage. And then you have someone else who might benefit from dropping five pounds just because they're going to lose that extra little bit of go. So there's no set answer. And unfortunately it's just kind of one of those where it depends on every person. Yeah. But I think you can look at some person honestly and say, yeah, I think that you can motor at your own weight. Or yeah, you need to add a little bit of mass to you. So yeah, I, th I think the answer is probably a little bit of both. But it, you're right; it's de it's depending on like for me right now. I know I need to lose some weight. I am I am weaker than I I have been previously, but I also know that a lot of my speed, um, or my performance rather, is based off of some of the weight I've gained and also my poor training regime in terms of. Uh, my capacity, like, and especially yeah. after yeah. talking yeah. to you through this, I'm, I'm sitting here going like, man, I've really been screwing myself up. So this goes back to what I've told people in the past is like, Hey, right now you may I, like, I've been training poorly. So it's a snapshot though. This is not forever. Like, and, and even if, even if somebody doesn't agree with what you've just said during this podcast, right. Do, do it, do it for four months, do it for three months. And, and what have you lost? You, well, you yeah. And that's, you the, know? that's the whole thing is training is this great individual, like at the, at the end of the day, you're going to have to find out what works for you, which is, but I will say this, can anyone show me how getting your aerobic system stronger is going to make you slower? I I've never had anyone answer no. that. Like, in terms of actual like scientific, like explaining the mechanisms by which now someone's going to pull up a photo of some Kenyan marathon runner and be like, look, 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 I'm like, are you serious right now? <laughs> like, like to, to pull up David Goggins as an example, I know he's a polarizing, you know, figure, but like you understand he was running like the Moab 240, almost won it and then still broke the pull-up world record for most pull-ups in 24 hours. 
So like, I know that's one example, but I could keep pulling them out of the hat of like many of these hybrid athletes, but it's because it takes more effort. It's harder. It's harder to program because you have to get rid of what you want sometimes for what you need or what your body can recover from or what your body can handle. Because for instance, it's sometimes about taking away stuff out of your program. Here's an example. Do you know that there's some exercises where I do one set, one rep per week? Hmm. And that that's because I, I'm getting stronger. I'm in, I'm out. And I, I'm not concerned with what my max is. I'm concerned with improving and I've got time to get strong. I'm not trying, you know, if I have a time limit, then things change. If I've got a ship date, of course, then I've got to structure things a little bit more. But if you're just training or you're at a unit or you're just staying fit or you want to be, be a badass as long into life as possible, what's the rush? Like, what's your rush to get your deadlift up? Six weeks ago, you beat your deadlift record, you posted it, and now you're trying to do it again. Like, that's coming from something else. Like, I don't need to prove to people I'm a monster by proving to people I'm a monster. I'm doing what I need to to become better at the stuff I need to. So it's a process and that's what training is. But I've never seen someone improve their capacity and get worse. It just, it's, it doesn't logically yeah. make it, it doesn't, it, 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 there's no, I don't know of any argument against it as long as you're one eating properly. So if you're losing, if people think that doing lots of low intensity cardio makes you like small and weak, your, your diet's trash. You're not eating enough to support both the low intensity training, the high intensity strength training and getting a caloric excess. In fact, actually doing lots of low intensity training is going to bring more oxygen to your tissues. You're going to have better blood flow to your tissues. So you actually should increase hypertrophy to make it easier to put on more muscle mass because you have more blood flow to the, uh, to the muscles. Um, if you're getting weaker, it's because your strength training sucks. There is, um, there's plenty of examples. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, Alex Viata, has pulled a 700-pound deadlift and done an ultra marathon in the same week. And he's like 240 pounds too. So like, it's once, and people say, you know, like, oh, well, you know, my program works and stuff like that. I'm like, how do you know something else would have worked way better? That's true. Because every, everyone will say, well, you know, because it's very hard for people to let go when it comes to training because it's the thing we protect the most. And I do it too. I love my <laughs> training. I love doing it. And I'm not here to change anyone's minds. I'm here to hopefully bust through a lot of stuff that's holding you back in terms of being a beast and really pushing some insane human potential. Well, there you have it. Um I got to go out for a run now. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm telling you, do the, do I, you need to, you need to do the test. It's I'm, I'm it's going to, so, it's so humbling. It I'm, I'm so going to go, I'm going to go do the, the, I'm going to go out and run. Well, one, I'm going to try the talk test. Uh, Cause I haven't done that, but I also have heart rate monitors and stuff like that. But then I'm going to try the go out for, and I'll do it. I'll do a mile run with unimpeded, you know, breathing, yep. nose breathing, yep. mouth breathing. And then tomorrow, I'm gonna tomorrow later on this week, I'm gonna do the the water in the mouth. It's gonna be hum. It's gonna be hum. It it is so frustrating, and it's 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 to show people, hey, hey, like unless you came from the endurance world background, see that that's my story. Is I come from the endurance world. I didn't even I I wasn't deadlifting and squatting when I was with USA Cycling. 
I got into that stuff like way late into my career as a strength coach and trainer. So like, but a lot of people coming into uh, special tactics, you know, special warfare, their background is maybe football. So they have been lifting weights. They've been doing the intensity. And then they're like, now I've got to learn how to fit and swim. So for arguably most people are going to be deficient in their, in their aerobic base and capacity. They're going to have poor delivery of oxygen to the tissues. They're going to be doing too much high intensity. And the funny thing is when people think like you're doing too much high intensity, they think like, oh my gosh, you're going to ruin my training. Okay. If you want a high intensity workout, I'll give you an example of one. So here's an example of a high intensity workout. Ready? You're going to run a 5k as fast as possible. All right. Every odd minute. So that's minutes one, three, five, seven. Okay. You're going to get down. You're going to do 15 burpees. And then after 15 burpees, you're going to sprint as hard as you can for 30 seconds and then continue to run as hard as you can until the next odd minute and complete a 5k. That'll take a, Oh, that's awful. So when the 5K is done, you're done. So think about that. Say I did that. And that was on a Wednesday. And that was my one high intensity workout for the week. Now I would probably have, I I normally pick two days and I fire my high intensity bullets in my cardiovascular training and running twice. I, I, I have two sessions. One often is a track session to get my running speed up. And the other is normally like a hill interval. But so Imagine that. See, see, when it's time to go hard, people are like, uh-oh. That's, they that's, want, that's they, heinous. They want that comfortable hard. That will put you in zone four right away. Uh, yeah. So here's, a, here's another example. So ready? You have a 40-pound sandbag. You do five minutes of lunge jumps to the point where your legs cannot move. And then you run a mile as fast as you can. So once again, what's the total time there? 15 minutes? So think about if I do 10 hours of cardio in the week and I did that once, imagine how hard that is. Freaking hard. Yeah. But I could still do 90% of my cardio at low intensity and I'm still going to be a monster. See, do you see how like if hard's hard, it's hard. And hard can be hard when easy is easy. But as easy as medium hard then you don't have enough energy to go hard. Yeah. It's it you and you said it earlier like there's there's a nice balance between okay conditioning and being a monster and also the the community aspect of it where everybody's doing a hard workout the mental challenge of it. Okay, so that that every every odd do 15 burpees and then a sprint like that's that's a grind. That I mean that Yeah. That's a mental just like Hey man, this is going to be rough. Yeah, that that one is that it's it's it, it's devastating. So like high intensity is freaking awesome. There are amazing benefits, but what we do is I think we justify it. We we know that we need more of the other side, kind of like with strength training, right? So with strength training, which we won't get into today, but it's kind of the same thing. I think people don't realize how little it takes to get strong. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that's but, true. But with how badass we are and with how fit we are, it takes a lot to get tired. And if yeah. my goal is to get tired, 
Well, then it's going to take a lot of exercises and a lot of that to get tired. So remember, my measure of success running is not failure. It's not fatigue. If I got done with a run, I'm like, wow, I'm tired, but I didn't do what I was trying to do physiologically. It doesn't matter. There's lots of people that get tired every day. They're not yeah. fast. They're not fast. Just like the person who does all the work for that math equation hits enter. And they're like, look, I got an answer. And the math teacher's like, you're not even remotely close. <laughs> so just because you get an answer, which is sweaty, tired, sore, or high heart rate, or good time doesn't mean like, yes, you'll improve to a certain point, but we know we're not talking about just being average on this podcast, right? I, I, this is not about like, hey, here's seven tips to like lose 20 pounds and be healthy. We're talking about being the elite of the elite of the elite. So I'm holding the people listening to the highest standard. So we've got to have higher level conversations than, oh, just work out consistently. Yeah. Or oh, just, yeah. you know, or just crush it all the time. Well, I understand everyone is probably going to be able to crush it, push through pain, challenge themselves, get after it with the boys. So I'm already assuming that's going on. I'm saying, what if we did that more intelligently in a way where you actually get the result you want to, but without all the negative stuff? See, we're just dropping all the bullshit and getting rid of a lot of injuries, pain, problems, and also think about extending the longevity. Yeah. And uh, somebody at my age doing this so long, longevity is key because eventually yeah. I got to take this uniform off and I still want to, like, I don't want to turn into somebody that I don't want to be like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you see a lot, you know, and it's, it's oftentimes it's, and in fact, more often than not, it is not because of the uniforms off. It is because like, it is, if, if people aren't aware of this, like this job is tough on the body. It is very tough on the body. And then you throw in deployments with injuries and, and jumping accidents or whatever. So longevity is key. So I think, I think you nailed it. And, um, man, I, I, again, just like last time I've been starched. And if you're listening to this, you've just been starched. Um, so I like, I really appreciate you coming on and I definitely want to get you back on to, I mean, we could, we could do another hour. I mean, we've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. Now we could go another three hours on this alone. Yeah. So, run, run, running is a crazy, it's a crazy, it's crazy, right? There's so much, and there's so many varying opinions, you know, I'm sure someone's going, you know, someone yeah. listening to podcast might be like, what about like heel strike? What about this? There, there's a billion jillion ways. You got two sides. You got the bones, the muscle, the joints, and the stuff. And then you got all the fats, carb, sugar, and the energy. So it's kind of a two-sided coin. Yeah. And if I want to run faster, I want to be working on both those. But people just need to slow down and think about when I'm training, specific things are happening at a physiological level. And just because you go hard doesn't mean you get all of them magically. It's not like if, oh, the harder... I run, the more I acquire like Mario grabbing coins, you know, and Mario Kart and stuff like that. It's it, it, there's certain things that happen and it, you just got to understand what those are. So hopefully what people have a better understanding of is kind of that five zone system and why, if they've heard, or if they haven't heard why there's an argument and there's the argument strong and it's both scientific and anecdotal and just personal that more low intensity is going to better serve you in performance, health, and in the long run. 
It doesn't mean intensity is not there. It mother freaking better be there, but it better be intense. And then obviously, you know, we got into last time about, you know, the whole other side of the coin and all that. No, and, and that episode will be out by the time this one this one airs. Okay, sweet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's so much. There's, there's running is it's it's simple. Go forward fast, um, you know, on one leg, and then there's a lot to it. So break down. So. <laughs> cool, man. Well, appreciate you coming on. We'll we're definitely gonna have you back on again to uh, talk strength conditioning, and and I'm sure we'll hit some more on the running thing um, because uh, like. Like I'm not even shitting you here. You you've um, helped me mentally reset and reevaluate the training that I have been doing, the training that I need to be doing. So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that talk test. I'm gonna hit the the um, yeah the water yeah, in the mouth. yeah the water in the mouth. And oh, then I'll, I'll tell you right now that it that will that will challenge you. Uh, real quick, I'll add on to this. So I'll add on real quick. I apologize. Uh, I just popped in my head. With the five zone system, here's something you can start to practice on right away because I think this will be helpful because I want people to actually be able to do stuff in their training that's instantly going to impact them in terms of mm-hmm. everything, right? I, I don't want to hide any secrets. So if you're in zone one, which we talked about, which is your recovery zone, you should be able to go nose in, nose out at the same tempo. So no, breathe in, out through the nose on a one-to-one. If you're in zone two, you should be breathing through your nose, except you're going to take maybe a quicker inhale, so uh, and then a slow exhale. So a little bit of a tempo, you're still through the nose. Now, if you're in zone three, you should be nose in, mouth out. So a mm. little bit of a power in, mouth out. If you're in zone four, now is where we're going to go, mouth out, and then up and above. So people start mouth breathing way too soon when it comes to their training. Guilty. So there's, there's a little bit how you compare almost nasal breathing. Cause I know a lot of people ask about that. So if you think oh, yeah. nose in and out zone one, quick in nose out zone two, and then you start to power in exhale out through the mouth zone three, and then start shifting. So it's not really, you don't need your mouth until really zone four or five. Oh man. I'm way too early on that then. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit. So so what, what the nose is, is a throttle for your intensity. The reason why I'm having you put water in the mouth is so you're honest. And then you kind of have two fold with the heart rate strap. So you have the nose and the heart rate to make sure that you're staying honest to that low intensity, but nasal breathing is pretty much a throttle. So I figured I'd throw that in there since we talked about the five zone system. So people can start to practice that. So unless you're in zone four, you should be breathing in through the nose and then potentially out through the mouth if it's zone three. But we're not doing too much of zone three. Oh, oh boy, I got a lot yeah. to work on. That, that's tough. That's tough. I got yeah. a lot to work on. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. Everybody that's listening, please like, subscribe, hit the little notification button, um, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, leave a review if you feel so inclined. And uh, and we look forward to having uh, Taylor back on in the future.